The parable of the great banquet, Luke chapter 14, beginning at verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Thank you, Phil, very much indeed. So it's quite rare these days that I find myself preaching twice on the same day. It happened, uh, I think, in January, and uh, may well happen again on Easter Day. But not very often. Thankfully, we have uh, so many who are able to share in this ministry now, which is really hugely encouraging. But it doesn't always work out quite as neatly as perhaps it might. So this morning we had a great celebration, and uh, it was wonderful to share in the dedication of uh, Ezra. And we've got a great theme for this evening as well in this uh, story of the great banquet the parable from Luke chapter 15. And I'm finding myself drawn more and more into these stories that Jesus told, the parables. We like a good story, and Jesus was a great storyteller, so much of his teaching was communicated through stories. Indeed, he often challenged the thinking of the religious leaders of his day with a good story. And this is no exception. Now, the idea of the kingdom of God being like a great banquet is common in Scripture. Uh, there are many possible references. Perhaps uh, the most significant for us tonight would be the words of Jesus at the time of the Passover, recorded in Luke 22, 14 to 18. Uh, possibly the words to do with the institution of communion, but words that we don't often read in Luke's account, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I've eagerly, eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. 
For I will tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. As if the eating and the drinking was very clearly linked to the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. And here Jesus tells a story that likens the kingdom of God to a great banquet. That bit is straightforward. The religious leaders of the time would have assumed that without question they would have a place in this banquet. Regardless of what they did here and now, it was just guaranteed almost by who they were. But Jesus challenges that. Because as he opens up this story of the great banquet, he says it all depends on what you do with the invitation. It all depends on what you do with the invitation. Now, I don't know about you, but I always enjoy invitations. And uh, we're very privileged in this respect, in the role that I have. And we're sometimes invited to weddings when I've taken the ceremony. And that's a great honor and always hugely enjoyable. We're sometimes invited to birthday parties or family celebrations, and that's a great pleasure. In sadder circumstances, I might be invited to join a family after a funeral for a reception. And that often leads to most interesting and valuable conversations. Now, we cannot always accept the invitations that we receive. Indeed, I remember earlier this year, there was a Saturday evening when we needed to be in South End. But at the same time, we were invited to two different birthday celebrations here in Solihull. Couldn't go to either of them. Quite disappointing. And I'm sure you find yourself in the same place. Sometimes you need to turn down the invitations that you receive. Now, in this story, some invitations were sent out. There's a lot of detail in the story that we don't know. Who was giving the banquet in the first place? Jesus doesn't tell us. Who were the invited guests? He doesn't say precisely. But what we do know is that they all turned down the invitation and with what seemed to be rather trivial excuses. Viewing a field, trying out some oxen, and just got married. But the host was determined to have a full house for the party, so he asked his servant to bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, people who were within the city, but not likely to be the first to be invited to the banquet. But even then, there was still some more room, so the servants went outside of the city to the country lanes to find the poorest of the poor, those who were scraping a living from the leftovers of the vineyards or the fields, and brought them in as well. And then comes the crunch in the story. Not one of those who were originally invited will taste the banquet. That was the stink. So what does this all mean? What does this story say to us today? What is it all about? Well, first of all, it's about Jesus and his kingdom. And the first thing in this story that is very clear is that the gospel is for everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not die but should have everlasting life. Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, male and female, all are included. God's desire is for everyone to find a place in his great worldwide family. 
Now, some would suggest that the key focus of this story is actually not the refusal of the guests who had first been invited to come, but the eagerness of the host to fill the table. Bring everyone in. It's an important part of this story, isn't it? The host didn't give up when the first guest gave excuses. He wanted more to come in, wanted more to come in. Inclusion is a popular word at the moment, but it's a challenging word as well. We say that we are both welcoming and inclusive, but it's very hard to translate that into the reality of a church community like ours. And yet Jesus and his kingdom, as pictured in this story, is a gathering together of all kinds of people. I had a great privilege yesterday uh, of visiting a minister in training. Some of you know that a little bit of my time is linked to Regent's Park College in Oxford and supporting those who are training for ministry by visiting them in their locations. And this particular minister in training is working at a church called 57 West, which uh, focuses particularly on those who are homeless. I mentioned it very much in passing this morning. But to share in their service, their, their pattern of life is that they gather, uh, the, the center is open on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. And uh, on each of those days, it's open for three or four hours. People can come and go, and uh, the pastor, the minister in training, who's uh, very experienced and very well qualified for the role that she has. Uh, she is there and listening and talking, and clearly for all of those who come, their life is immensely challenging. Some of them actually living on the streets, most of them in some sort of temporary hostel accommodation or something like that, uh, but quite a lot of them moving about from place to place, some of them dependent on the homeless shelter that is provided through the winter months in a rota of a number of different churches in the area. There were about 30 people gathered for the service. Uh, they started to come about half past 10. Bacon rolls were served, which were always very popular. There's always food as part of uh, whatever happens at 57 West. And, and then the conversations, and then the worship. Worship very informal, very conversational. Uh, people who uh, wouldn't just sit and listen politely like you all are, uh, but who would always want to just uh, toss out a comment, uh, throw out a question. And it's great that it's the environment in which that is not only uh, um, okay, but it's positively encouraged. Uh, so it's very much a dialogue and a fascinating experience just to be part of. It's the second time that I've been there for a worship service. I've been there on other occasions for other things that have happened. And I came away wondering how many of those 30 people would have felt welcomed and comfortable in a more established church, whatever the denomination. And I was particularly aware that they were so welcoming of me. One or two of them recognized me because I'd been two or three times before. And, and so the conversation was a bit easier this time. And they just seemed really pleased that I was there. Uh, why should they bother about me? They didn't really know who I was. But they were welcoming. And there was a welcome for them. And it was something of a sign of the kingdom of God. 
And I would love to feel that if there were significant numbers of people whose uh, life is utterly chaotic, who were the nevertheless wanting to engage with a worshipping community, that there would not only be a welcome, but there would be a real integration. That's a challenge to achieve. But this story talks about uh, the host sending his servant out to gather in those who were very much on the edge of society, those who were in very dark and difficult places, who were just struggling to stay alive. And for me, the connection between what I saw yesterday and what I read in this story is very telling. Because this story tells us something very important about Jesus and his kingdom and how it embraces all. But I think this story also tells us something about the future and the present. Because the language of this story in the imagery is often linked to heaven. That at some time and in some place, there will be a great heavenly banquet. The Apostle Paul describes it as the marriage supper of the Lamb. Other similar images are used elsewhere in Scripture. And I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to sometimes think this is all happening in the future. There is a time when Jesus will return. He will gather all his people together and there will be some kind of great celebration in heaven. But actually, when you read this story closely, you have to interpret it differently. Because as the host prepared this great banquet and invited many guests, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Everything is now ready. And that was stated before any of the excuses began. This is not just about the future. This is about the present because God's kingdom invades our world of today with a whole different worldview and a whole different way of living. The table is set. The feast is ready. Christ has died. He has risen. His spirit is here. The kingdom of God in its fullness belongs to the future but it's being expressed in the present time, here and now, through his church. And so we are invited to come to the banquet and to celebrate in the feast of all that Christ has to give to us here and now, today. The invitation to become followers of Jesus today is not just to be some part of some kind of heavenly banquet in the future, whatever that might look like, but to be with the people of God today, to share in the resurrection power of Jesus today. Everything is ready. You and I are invited to be part of the banquet tonight. But then comes the crunch. Because I do believe that this is the real crunch of this story. No excuses allowed. When God calls us to follow Jesus, it is for life. What do we make of these excuses that were here in the story? They all have some cultural significance. It was not impossible to buy some land on condition that the purchaser would then go and view it, approve it, and when he saw it personally, the sale would be completed. And so it's possible that something like that was going on in the first excuse. There was an urgency to complete the deal. And similarly with the second case, which by implication was a very wealthy farmer because he bought five pairs of oxen, that's ten oxen, and for many of the farms of that time, 
two pairs of oxen would be quite sufficient for farming the sort of fields that most people would have. So here must have been someone who owned a vast amount of land, who had many, many fields, and who needed these uh, five pairs of oxen and had to go and check them out. And the third excuse, well, those who'd recently been married were excused from going to war, but there was no such concession for attending a friend's banquet. The one thing which disqualified all of them is that something else was more important than sharing in this feast. And the response from the host was clear. None of those originally invited would share in the feast. And that makes me ask, what excuses do we put up for not following the call of Christ in its entirety, here and now? What distracts us from total wholehearted commitment to what Christ is calling us to be and to do? What holds us back from coming to him, from sharing in the fullness of his love, the power of his spirit, allowing him so to transform our lives that we too can influence and transform the lives of other people? What excuses do we put up for holding back? We're too busy. We say that so often. We're too busy to pay attention to spiritual growth. We're too busy to set aside time to do something different during Lent. We're too busy. Work is too important. For those of us who are engaged in uh, uh, work in its formal sense, it can so easily become overwhelming. Family demands are too great. And we're being pulled in one direction and then another direction and then another direction. We need to buy one thing or another and we need to check out on what we've bought and make sure it works or get it changed or whatever else. We might lose our reputation if it is too obvious that we're a disciple of Jesus Christ and that's more important to us than anything else. And we might have to change our way of life. There are many times in the Gospels where Jesus said some very challenging words about the cost of following him. Uh, not far before this particular story in Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 9, uh, a passage that we referred to, someone else referred to in speaking not so long ago, the cost of following Jesus when there were three people walking along the road. And one said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, it's costly to follow Jesus. And someone else said, I'll follow you, but first let me go and bury my father. And someone else said, I'll follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to the family. And Jesus responded very sharply, if you're going to follow me, it's no good looking back. You can't look back. And Jesus is reinforcing that challenge, I think, in this particular story that there is a great banquet to enjoy, that there is an excitement about being a wholehearted disciple of Jesus Christ. There is a spiritual feast of meaning and purpose, of love and power that God wants to bring into our lives. There's a strength of community as we are committed to him wholeheartedly together. 
that no excuses are allowed. It does depend on what you do with the invitation. And tonight there is an invitation, isn't there, which you're very familiar with and I'm very familiar with. It's an invitation to come to share in bread and wine in the way that Jesus has set out. A token feast, as we sometimes call it. But for us tonight, a moment to really sense what is Jesus calling you to now as a wholehearted disciple of Jesus? What are you able to do differently as you follow him today? What excuses have you been putting up that really are not valid? And how might you and I and all of us together be part of a huge, inclusive, growing kingdom of God where he is truly Lord?